Welcome to Res Talk, your source for the latest news, opinions, and training from top building performance, rating, and auditing experts. Here's your host, committed building science enthusiast and registered professional engineer, Bill Spohn. Welcome back to another episode of the Res Talk podcast. It's our goal here at Res Talk to communicate late breaking news and thoughtful insights into the wide array of topics in this rapidly expanding world of residential energy ratings to all the stakeholders in the ResNet ecosystem. So whether you're a housing consumer, rater, builder, realtor, appraiser, you want to hear about the evolving trends in home energy ratings. Well, today's topic's about the goals and priorities for 2021 for ResNet. And we have the honor of having Steve Baden, the executive director of ResNet, on board to give us that kind of overview. He'll talk about the processes used, the outcomes, and the big three takeaways for 2021. Since ResNet focuses on transparency and credibility in achieving its goals, you want to learn more about this process. At the time of the recording, the 2021 virtual conference for ResNet had yet to occur, but you can still log in to register and gain access to well over 100 hours of amazing conference contact at the link in the show notes. So let's listen in and hear what Steve has to say about the priorities for 2021 for ResNet. Pleased to have Steve Baden joining us again today. How are you on this fine morning, Steve? I'm doing fine. I'm located in Southern California, so I'm not quite having the weather that most of the country is doing. My father's 91 years old, and he had a fall and a heart attack, so I'm doing in care. I'm looking out his window and seeing a swimming pool and palm trees, the next door neighbors. So I'm willing the rest of the country they are having this cold front to get some of this California warmth. Yeah, we're in mid-February here recording this in 2021, and there's been the Arctic air coming down. So chilling, very chilling. But today we're here to talk about the ResNet 2021 priorities. And uh, as leader of the organization, Steve, you probably have a pretty good grasp on those, I would say, huh? Yes, it is. And before we get into the details of it, maybe I can explain the process, how we came about coming up with this. Through our annual budget process, we have about a four-step measure. The first one is to define what are the essential activities each year that ResNet will undertake for the year. Then based upon that, the board then approves those, the definitions, and then based upon that, then the ResNet staff comes up with what our goals are. The board then considers that and approves that, and then we come up with a actual priorities for the organization to undertake. And once that's approved, then that's the basis for ResNet staff then to come up and work with the executive committee and coming up with a budget for the following year. And so it's really all tied into the budget process, which makes sense because in order to spend money, you need to know where you're going. And it's important to develop a consensus between staff and the board, knowing which direction the organization needs to take then it makes this easier for then the board to make decisions of allocation of resources. Sure. To spend money wisely, you really got to have a process and it sounds like you got a pretty solid one. And it's also understandable because it is just four steps, but four very important steps. Give me just a little bit more background on the process. How long does it take and when does it begin? It begins around, let's say, August. Our budget is approved by the fall ResNet board meeting. So this whole process starts in August. So it's about three or four months of development. It's worked pretty well, and there's no surprises that way. And I found that always at first before we did this, it was kind of a crapshoot what the reaction of the board would be because they didn't really have any look at it. And the other thing is largely staff said, okay, this is how much money we're expecting to get, so this is what we're going to do with it. And a couple of years back, the board put a challenge to staff and say, let's not do that. Let's look at what you really want to do, and then we'll figure out the resources to get there. 
And that was a game changer because now that allowed staff to think big, which direction we want to go, where we want to go, how we're going to get there, and what kind of resources we need. And that gave birth to this process. And I think as an executive director, it's worked very well because it helps us put focus on planning. And then the board is able to take a step at a time, feel they know where we're going and why. And then it makes the, again, the allocation of resources in that much simpler. Okay. So let's start into those priorities in two, four, six, eight, ten, eleven. I see on the list that you've shared with me in advance. Why don't you just start in with maybe some of the more core basic priorities here? Okay. I think the biggest one is transparency. We want to enhance the transparency of ratings and code compliance. One of the key ingredients for that is our national registry of which all the homes are put in, and that fits in with maintaining the registry. Of course, it's always been a big goal of ours is to maintain a priority, maintain the credibility of HERS ratings and HERS raters through quality assurance, maintaining the ResNet standards as the gold standards for measuring a home's and labeling a home's energy performance. And growing the demand for HERS Raider services. I think those are the key big ones that we're talking about. And I think the other bait and potato ones, I think, is including maintaining residents' financial and management integrity and sustainability. Sure. In order to do work, you have to be in business, so to speak. And as a nonprofit, we're accountable and we're living upon rating activities and memberships of members. So we just want to make sure we're proper stewards of the members' resources they put into ResNet and that it is maximized to the greatest extent possible, and that we keep the integrity of the system. So when we speak about growing demand, I'm sure there's been some dynamic trends that have happened, some new opportunities. Maybe can you speak to that a little bit about things both Resnet has done and both how the market has changed? The biggest surprise to me in 2020 was actually the demand for HERS ratings jumped around 24% over 2019. And 2019 was a record year. Entering to the pandemic, we kind of was wondering what would happen to the housing market. And it kills two birds with one stone in this because I think the housing industry saw the same thing. But there was a couple steps, I think, that took place that altered this. The first of all is that from the get-go, states and the federal government recognized home building as an essential activity. The home building industry was not closed down like other industries, like the service industries and travel industries. So we didn't get suffered that. And I have to say, though, to give credit both to ResNet, HERS Raiders, and the building industry, they've been pretty responsible, I think, in following the health and safety rules protested by the CDC. We have not seen super spready events in the housing construction industry, unlike you've seen other situations. So I think it was, one, having the federal and state governments trust in the housing industry, and then the housing industry actually showing that they were worthy of that trust and acted responsibly. There's two other factors out there, I think, that grew the demand for housing. First of all, we're still looking at record low interest rates. It's bad. In fact, in my lifetime, I've never seen interest rates this low. So it's, if you're going to buy a house, this is the opportune time. I just refinanced my house at the beginning of the year and got a 2% mortgage. And I go back to the first time I bought a house in 1984, I was paying a 15% interest mortgage. So that made it people had more. And then the other thing is, even though, and this has been a tell of two cities in terms of the way people were affected by the pandemic, almost all of us had, I would call, inconveniences and disruptions. But there's a lot of people that did well. And there's a lot of people, unfortunately, who did not do well and their lives were shattered economically. But there's a lot of number of people that just had to alter their work by working at home and various pieces like that. The other thing is, by 
people had more disposable income because there wasn't vacations and things that usually you put money in. So people did have the ability to have a house. So with that, people were willing more to be able to afford to buy a house. And then finally, I think you're seeing a generation shift. Initially, the millennials were moving into apartments and stuff in, in the city, in the inner city. They wanted to be close to the social and cultural life of the city. And what we're finding out now with that being closed and living in apartments during the pandemic is not the most easiest, comfortable way. So we're seeing a trend that as also with people having kids and stuff, the suburbs became more attractive. And then with a new home, I think the other factor is, is that a general increasingly concerned over health and safety. And so with a new home, a lot of people were able to design the home that they wanted and with the new technologies and building practices and ventilation to have a more safer home. So I think those combinations grew to having a demand. And I think just a general acceptance of consumers for buying homes, particularly in the demographics we're looking at, that environmental and energy are important issues to them. So this was sort of a perfect thing that grew both the construction of homes and to the idea of having builders having their homes rated. And I think that's what caused this increase. Now, one of the priorities is through communication uh, and advocacy. So if, if you could maybe sort of break that down a little bit and perhaps two points of communication. One, because we're so much virtual now, one is both the conference and the website. So talk about those two things. Yes. Well, the website is our touchstone. This is the way we reach out. It's a pretty dynamic. I have to give a credit to Lowell Elam, who led last year the upgrading of the website. It's much more user-friendly now and accessible. And there's two sites. There's one aimed at consumers to explain what a HERS index is and its benefits. That's very, very basic. It was always cluttered before. It's pretty clean and neat now. And then we have the professional side, which is aimed for the industry itself, which is where our standards are kept. It talks about new career opportunities. That makes that apparent. And what we did was in 2020, we started a social media campaign to educate consumers in targeted markets, why to look for HERS Endoscore, what it is. And it was all reflected then to the new HERSindex.com website. That was an important area. The other factor is that we've been some people say too religious, but keeping the industry informed of where we're going, what the developments are going on. And we do that through direct email message blast out to our contacts and then on our social media. But then finally, the real ability to create a unity and a sense of purpose and keep the industry attached what's going on is our annual conference. And as you pointed out, we were just thinking about it. We were incredibly lucky last year in Scottsdale because literally it was about a week afterward that the pandemic really started to hit. And we missed the bullet. And we're fortunate that no one caught it when we were there because it was a packed conference. Could have been, yeah. It could have been a disaster. But we were lucky enough about that. And then we knew that the pandemic was going to hit. And once we started seeing that. So staff said, let's be honest about this. Let's make it rational. So we went to the board early and said, it looks like the winter 2021. We will not be over this pandemic. And so maybe the best cause right now is start looking at doing a virtual event. And the board agreed to that. And what was important about that, it gave us plenty of time to think through, look at other models, and rethink the way that you would do a conference. Because a lot of problems in the past is people take a face-to-face -face concerts and just make it virtual. And no people are willing to stay, sit behind a computer for eight hours looking at drawing of talking heads. So we were forced to say, look at it because we had the time and say, okay, what can we do? Because the core of our conference is our technical sessions. 
That's the meat and potatoes. It's among the leading experts in the field. And so what we decided is we will pre-record those technical sessions and have that on demand. And for people who register for the conference, that is available now. It will be available to view throughout the year 2021. One of the biggest criticisms that I've gotten about our conference was there were so many darn good sessions and you could only attend one of them. And we were also limited by the number of rooms that we had and what sessions we did. Well, this ability to have as many as we wanted broke both of those chains. And we have over 100 plus sessions that we were able to do that we wouldn't have probably ever done if we were constrained by the number of rooms available. And then people can pick and choose and bite a step at a time. So the whole array of sessions will be available for people to attend 24-7 throughout the year 2021. And then in order to make it easier for people to get the big picture of what's going on, we created a live streaming event for three days. That's only going to be about two and a half hours. It starts with a keynote address. Each day has a topic. And then it has some general session type presenters. And we divided it up to looking at the building industry. What's the trends towards there? The second, and we had it fortunate enough to get a the CEO of Habitat International to be the keynote addresser for that. Then the second day is aimed at where is the HERS industry going? I gave the keynote address for that. And the third day was what were the policy issues that are emerging with the new administration in Congress? And we were fortunate to have Congressman Levin, who's on the House Select Committee on Combating Climate Change, as the keynote speaker. So these are short, closer things, more entertaining, if you will, that could get you the big directions we're going, but then the meat and potatoes can be done later. And I think that the results so far has been very encouraging. As of yesterday, we've had over a thousand people register, which is a record breaker for us. And again, we did one thing too, because this is a new, we reduced the cost of registration. And then frankly, Without the cost of having to travel, a hotel room, airplane fares, meals, it's a lot more affordable for people. And then also it does, the ability is, is that people do not have to miss three days of work in a row. Or actually, when you look at it, it's probably five, because one day going there, one day going back, and three days of the conference. This could be spread out any way you want it. I think the number of those factors was a brave new world. We'll see how it goes, but the response so far by the registration sponsorships and exhibits have been really good. And I think it's important because this is what really we see the conference providing cohesion for the industry, having a meeting place and networking opportunity for the whole industry to be able to see where we're at, share their stories, and get inspired. And while virtual can never substitute the face-to-face, I think at the time it's going, we're going to achieve all three goals with the limitation that virtual has. So let me ask you, the on-demand portion, if you don't attend the live, can someone come back later and get into the on-demand? Oh, absolutely. Okay. Matter of fact, also, the live ones will be recorded. So if you missed one day or something like that, you can go back. It's what I call the virtual library of over 100 sessions. And I could say it's available 24-7 and people can uh, view it. This will also give Raiders their continuing education credits by enrolling for these courses. And I'll let people know that if you're not able to register for the conference now, you can also register later and be able to get access to that library. That's it. And I'll put a link in the show notes for this. I'll grab it from the website. So if people are listening to this later throughout the course of 2021, they can always come back, register, and get the on-demand sessions as well as the live stream. That's the advantage, again, of a virtual. We talked about 
some of these activities, but of course you need staff and people as well as budget to do the activities. Any kind of changes, upgrades, progress with uh, staff over the course of the last year or so? The only addition we had over the past year was a, a key position called the our director of energy modeling. Got it. We always have been consistently idea of getting the software programs more consistent. We relied upon volunteers in the past, but as this becomes more competitive and better demand, it needed something more of a steering. And we were lucky to get Neil Curris to be able to take it because he worked for both the NREL and developing the Energy Plus program, but also with the state of California in developing their rating software program. And so he doesn't have a dog in the hunt, if you will. He has no financial ties to it. So that gave us a chance because modeling is way beyond my expertise or anyone we had in staff. But main way we were able to keep who we had and we were able to achieve a lot and meet all of our goals, believe it or not, despite of being in a pandemic. So you'd mentioned the standards are one of the core of maintaining the standards, the gold standard for home performance. Any perspective changes in standards? Not too detailed, but things that are coming up, coming down the pike in this year. Well, I'm going to pitch the conference because there is one session of the live streaming that Laura Elam is going to go and walk the people through the changes expected in 2021. The key answer is that we have to update our standards every three years, and that needs to be done by 2022. We're going to be going through the public process of reviewing and updating our standards, taking interpretations we did in the past and putting it out to updating it. So those are going to take place. But one of the things that's being done right now, I think, is critical, and that is we adopted ANSI Standard 310, developed in cooperation with ACCA and the International Code Council, that actually allows raters to rate and credit the efficiency of the installation of the HVAC system. And one of the reviews right now is besides HERS raters, what other parties that a builder could use or a raider who doesn't want to do the inspections allow to take place. And that is out right now. And probably by time it's broadcasted, will be aired, the public review process will be over. But I think that's going to be really important because now we have the ANSI standard. We had to change our what we call the MinHER standard, which is governs home energy ratings with the how-to and who can and what the rules are. And I think once we do that and the software is, I think this is going to be a big boom for the industry because NREL calculated that fully adopting the commissioning of HVAC systems, of course, dependent upon climate, but whole builders would be able to reduce their index scores by as much as six points. And when you look at it, this is truly a win-win. This is up your field, Bill, but it's just because the nameplate is doesn't mean it was installed that way. No, it's installed on-site, system installed, designed, and there's a lot of complexity to it. And a lot of them are oversized. A lot of them are not properly charged, a lot of that stuff. What's really, to me, is a win-win-win because now this will give a tool for builders to insist their HVAC contractors do it right. They can see, actually, the rater being their quality assurance agent on making sure it was installed right. The other factor is because they want to get, those are going to be the cheapest, easiest ways to get points. I think we're going to see builders embrace that. And once they embrace that, I don't think they ever go back. This is also then going to create a pressure on HVAC contractors to do it right the first time because someone's going to be looking afterwards. So I think that's an exciting thing. And I think that once we get these other standards implemented and the software incorporated, I think that's going to be an important growth area for the industry. It spans the thinking from energy to comfort and indoor air quality and ultimately customer satisfaction, which could drive even more demand for HERS ratings from consumers, home buyers. 
Exactly. And again, as I mentioned, people are now looking for things different in a home. Yep, the health and safety aspect. And this would become one of their checklists. Is this because who wants to be cold yeah. and uncomfortable? Right. And pay high bills for it. And this is an ability because the fact is, you look at codes, codes say you have to meet naked standards, but it doesn't have any provisions on whether that was done or not. This is just, even though you're buying a home that meets code, you just have no, you have no certainty whether it's actually performing the way it's supposed to be. And this gives this consumer another sense of comfort. Quality check aspect has to be there. Yep. There's one particular standard that sort of gets called out in the priorities, which is the ResNet Water Efficiency Standard and HERS H2O, the program delivery for that. Why does that stand apart and a little bit different from the rest of the priorities? Because when you look at it, it needs to be heightened because for the longest of time, HERS Raiders and ResNet's been just focused on energy. And because the leadership of Jacob Atala with KB Home and the WaterSense program, Jonah Shine, was the idea is a Raiders with a little bit of actually in a rating itself, because we did a rating of HVAC, the hot water systems, a lot of what you need to do a water rating is already the Raiders are going through as part of producing an energy rating. And then also we saw in the Southwest, the water shortage is going on and the idea that this is an emerging issue. And frankly, the water rates in the United States has been spiking higher than energy rates. And then when you look at it, the cost of housing it's not only energy, but it's all utility bills, which water is. So it just made a lot of sense to look at that. We did it differently and signified it differently because it's not your energy 101. It's expanding a little bit more bigger picture, which I see, though, as a career opportunity to be able to do ratings. And we have our ANSI standard in place. We have online training for raters to be able to do the training. We're just kind of waiting for the software programs to be able to do that. But in the interim, we have a spreadsheet that readers can use. So we launched our program and we're proud to say that the WaterSense has recognized our HERS H2O, which is our water efficiency rating, as a compliance measure for WaterSense homes. This is the first program to do it. And we're actually doing a pilot program with EPA in the Las Vegas market. And anyone associated with Las Vegas understands why that would be an important place to start. For other listeners, there's a podcast that we did, a ResTalk podcast, talking about this in more detail if you want to go back through the archives and look for that too. But I really want to say that I think water is a new frontier for the rating industry and for builders. And our total goal is twofold. One, to create more career opportunities and business expansion for our rater members. But two, provide a means by which a builder can monetize water performance in the same way they've done with energy performance with HERS ratings. And if you can kill both birds with one stone, in other words, at one trip, if with one rater, you can get a water efficiency rating and an energy rating, the incremental cost is barely nothing. And it's just another way for the builder to show that the home is sustainable to the growing marketplace that people are buying homes for sustainability. Resource management, absolutely. Plus reducing your bills. It's like water is so much like energy because the cheapest water is the one you don't use. Two is not only are you doing good for the community and the economy, but also you're saving money. So it is easy to bundle together and people's conception. But we highlight it again because it's not your normal way of looking at energy ratings. We covered, I believe, all the priorities here, but I'd like you to wrap back around and give me your thoughts on the top three, the big three. Okay, it is, because sometimes it's the can, you're saying you can't see the forest through the trees. 
many times when you look at these priorities, you kind of realize it's kind of like overwhelming and looking at, well, where is it, where are we really going and what really is important here? Well, they're all important, but in the terms of the big three, come back and thinking about it. The three in my mind are, first of all, is positioning HERS Raiders to be the go-to source for energy code compliance verification. We've been collaborating with the International Code Council and be undertaking an aggressive campaign to give the tools for raiders to be able to get the confidence and credibility with code officials that they could do the energy verification part. Because energy codes have become more and more sophisticated. For instance, even in the prescriptive standard now, they require blower door testing and duct testing. And this is beyond the means of raiders. And the other thing we found out was interesting is there was a study that the Department of Energy commissioned that Fuller Solar Energy conducted, and the average code officials said, the code officials who were contacted said they spent an average of four and a half hours reviewing a performance-based energy code compliance paper. When you think about it, that means two days, that's over a whole working day for a code official. By using a rater, think about the time a code official will save because they can look at the joint ICC resident report in a matter of seconds, know the home complies because of the modeling, the inspections. So that to me is the real number one kind of keystone for growth because like all the other trades, the building code is an aging workforce. I think there was a study that ICC did is that most code officials are planning on retiring within 10 years. The average age is 50 something. And young people are kind of hesitant to become code officials. And so if we can pick this up, this is a truly win-win because we think that the wins are, first of all, Think of the wear and tear savings it would have on code officials. Code officials didn't enter the industry to become energy gurus. What they came in there for is structural safety. And many of them see that energy is just an unfunded mandate that they have to do. By building this relationship and seeing the HERS Raiders as a way to trust takes an incredible burden off these code officials. The second one is this is a boom for consumers because they homes that were rated by HERS, it was subject by experts who understood the code, was certified both by ResNet and ICC, does the necessary performance testing, subject to quality assurance of ResNet, so they know the home they're buying is truly complying with the code, whereas otherwise it's just a guess. And there's just too many stories out there of homes that just didn't make code and lawsuits and stuff like that, comfort problems. And then finally, it's a boom for builders because really for the price of one, they can get their code compliance, but also get their HERS rating to market the home performance. And what this will do is the ability is to take the exercise of mainly be complying with code, because code is the worst you can build by law, but creates a pathway for you to increase your performance and then differentiate your home from people who just merely meet code. So I see that this is the really important opportunity going in 2021 for the industry. And looking at it together, ICC and ResNet has calculated this Full implementation of this opportunity may double the demand for HERS ratings out there for raters. And the next one I talked about already, and that is the implementation of the ANSI ResNet ACCA ICC Standard 310 for the, I'm going to use the term commissioning of HVAC systems. And I think that this, again, is, I mentioned before, a real boon, a win-win-win for everyone. One of which is now builders can use the rater to be able to show that the contractors are putting in what they're supposed to by law. And then builders will get the credit for actually seeing the job is done right. Consumers are going to get homes that's been tested and followed through and going to be more comfortable. 
And then again, this is becomes a whole new career outside of gaining points for a rating for the builder, but also becoming more of a quality assurance agent for builders to make sure that they're getting the money they pay for for an operating HVAC system and the performance is such. So I can see where a savvy builder would make a terms of the HVAC contractor as a sign-off following standard 310. I think that's a big one. And I think it's not only going to be a big demand because it's going to be the cheapest way for builders to improve their HERS index scores. But I think once they get their hands on it, they're going to be wanting this despite they're going to get a rating or not. And that's a career opportunity. And then the third one we just talked about, and that's the emerging issue of water efficiency. I think that with the implementation of this, and as readers get to understand how easy it's going to make this transition to do both, I think it's going to make a big thing. And I can see water districts now, because when you look at it, this is really interesting, because I think we have the opportunity with this water rating system, what we saw with utility demand side programs. Because initially, when the utilities started the programs, they gave rebates for widgets. And you got this to put this in, you got that to put this in. And then we started seeing the more sophisticated programs out there was performance-based. So your incentive was based upon the total over-improvement you made to the home. I can see this in water because in water districts currently now, it's widget-based system. You get so much for water since toilet. You get so much for a shower head and labels, yeah. With this, then, cold department, water departments can actually set benchmark goals for the overall performance of a home water system and be able to track in how they meet that. So I think this is going to be a big opportunity. It also opens the door, as I mentioned before, for raters into another world. As far as the consumer consent, they're seeing their old utility bill, which right now increasingly water is becoming higher as portion of that. And so this creates another customer satisfaction for the builders and the raters for people buying the homes. So those are the big three I see. That's going to be a big opportunity this year. And it's going to be very exciting to see this rolled out and look this time next year and see how we did on the launch of the three. That's fantastic. Great overview, Steve. Thanks as always. You outline the priorities, you know them well, you can summarize them well, and you're familiar with all the interactions. And congrats to you, the board and the staff for putting this together and executing. And we look forward to hearing you come back again on about a year and we'll look at the priorities for 2022. Then we can do my report card and see how well we did. Yeah, we are. <laughs> I am getting them printed right now. So, you know. <laughs> But I do appreciate this ability to be able to communicate to the network through your medium. I think the more ways we do it, the more chance people can understand what we're trying to do. And again, I mentioned earlier, transparency is a key for ResNet. We want to be able to not surprise people. People know what we're doing, where we're going, and why we're going there. And I really appreciate you dedicating the session to that to provide that opportunity. You're very welcome. Thanks again, Steve, for coming on. We look forward to having you back again soon. And thank you, listeners, for listening in to Steve. Thanks, Bill. And thank you for the listeners for participating, too. And let's revisit this at the beginning of next year and see what we did. Okay. Take care, everyone. We'd like to thank you for listening to this episode of the Res Talk podcast. If you're a pro in the building market, surf on over to resnet.us slash professional to learn more or to join the email list. You can also find Resnet on Facebook or Twitter. If you're interested in feeding back to ResNet what you heard today or would like to hear a new topic covered or just have a general question, please send an email to info at resnet.us. Here's a quote for today. Setting goals is the first step in turning the invisible into the visible. That quote is by Tony Robbins. If you're not subscribed to this podcast, please consider doing so. And as always, thank you for listening to ResTalk. Take care. Thanks for listening to the ResTalk podcast. 
This podcast is hosted by Bill Spohn and is a production of ResNet, the Residential Energy Services Network. The best way to listen to this podcast is to subscribe on an iPhone using the podcast app or on an Android device by downloading the Stitcher app and searching for ResTalk. If you are willing, a review on iTunes of the podcast app will help others find the show and would be very much appreciated. We look forward to talking again soon on ResTalk. Talk.